Welcome into the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. Chin my vaidya part, Joshi Ashe Chavan. Uh, when we last talked, the Ashes were level. Ben Stokes had just scored a brilliant unbeaten century to level the Ashes at 1-1. Australia goes on to retain the Ashes even though the series was level at 2-2 and everyone who was on that pod predicted that Australia would retain the Ashes. Steve Smith came back. He was brilliant in the fourth test that Australia ended up winning. England ends up winning the fifth test. We don't know how motivated Australia was. But your biggest takeaways from the Ashes series for England and Australia, guys? I think for Australia, to start with, it's great to see Steve Smith back playing the way that he is. Of course, the clear best player in the series. I think most of us can agree with that part. Um, So really exciting to see him back in the test squad and scoring at such a prolific rate. Uh, David Warner, of course, not his best series, but it's just a completely different side to have these two leaders back in the team. For England, I think it's a great way to end the series. I think they would consider it a win, even though they didn't win this series, that they were able to take that fifth test with some great play from their openers, um, some new guys stepping up. With a big margin, too, uh, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. take, I'll take away from me is, yeah, Steve Smith, obviously, that's the biggest name in the series. Uh, it's crazy. To, no one would have thought that he would continue to bet at this prolific like 66 average after after what like 70 tests or something um it's just basically impossible to get him out and i know archer was talking some trash to him too but he failed to back that up david warner on the other hand probably one of the worst i think he only scored like 90 runs in all of his seven innings which is just absolute garbage and he got he got out to Stuart broad what um like nine times or something eight times mm-hmm. yeah it was definitely, really it was definitely up there him. I think Australia, like obviously Steve Smith is the glue that holds them together, but they also have, he's a number one test batsman. Pat Cummins, number one test bowler. Um, he had some peaches of deliveries. Hazelwood's good as well. Lyon took some key wickets. I think it was good for them to retain the series on away soil. Um, but from a broader perspective, I think England will definitely be, like you said, part. They'll be happy to, from the World Test Championship points perspective, they even the series and got those 24 points for drawing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to Part's point on England, you know, you have a guy like Rory Burns, who's the second leading run scorer for you in the tournament. Uh, you have Jaffer Archer, who comes in and takes 22 wickets. I mean, those are guys that step into the test squad and make an immediate impact. That's what England will be happy with. For Australia, obviously, retaining the ashes on away soil was, was the key takeaway. Some numbers here. England scored 2,300 runs in the series Australia, without Steve Smith, scored 1,700. It's actually 2,391 for England and 1,791 for Australia. So exactly 600 runs was the difference, which if you think about it really across five tests is not that much given that Australia drew one of the games where they didn't match England's uh, run scoring. But you throw Steve Smith in there and basically it was the difference between an even series, and a completely one-sided one for Australia. I mean, if Steve Smith doesn't play, I think it's a more even contest. Not saying that England would have won the Ashes, but Steve Smith made it it just a completely one-sided deal. Even then, it took uh, some heroics from Ben Stokes in the third match. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It took an amazing innings. One of the greatest innings we've seen. Yeah, it took an amazing innings just to level the series against a side without Steve Smith. And again... When you take that player out over the whole series, things would have changed. Different players might have stepped up. But Smith in the series, 110.5 average, and he was out every single time. So that's not inflated by any not outs. 
He has three hundreds, three fifties, and there's a lot of talk now of Steve Smith, you know, being the greatest Test batsman ever, uh, in comparison to Don Bradman. He failed, failed to in the double century. Yeah, where do you guys rank Steve Smith as an all-time Test batsman? Do you think he's already the best, or do you think there needs to be a little more volume? You can comfortably say second best. I think, obviously, you don't really, in my mind, I don't measure across eras because. Don Bradman played from, like, 1910 to, like, the 40s. And, obviously, his career was halted by two world wars and everything. It was a different era. He literally only played against England and, like, what? He played against, like, three squads, basically, the entire career. So, obviously, they had much worse bats then. But I think, overall, like, you don't really compare across eras. So, if you're cutting a modern era of cricket, like, obviously, I would say Steve Smith's the greatest test batsman of all time. Um, I can't in good faith, compare from, like, more than a century ago. So, to me, I think I would name him the, the best modern test batsman. Yeah, I, I agree with O'Shea. I think it's really hard to make this comparison, especially with Don Bradman, just given the fact that, you know, we talk about Steve Smith's sample size may not be that big, but they just didn't play that much cricket back then. Uh, so, Don yeah, Bradman didn't play that many matches overall. Don Bradman really only played a... He only played 62 matches. Test matches. Oh, 52 test matches, yeah. 52 test matches, yep. Yeah. And and even then, only 230 first-class matches, which, when you look at it, is, re- is really not that much. So there's just less cricket over there, so it's really hard to compare. Um, but what Steve Smith has done to come out in a five-match test series and pretty much just go score almost a century every single time that you go out in a match is just... I haven't seen anything like that before. Just the consistency across an entire month to stay focused and score every time you come out there is just incredible. So, uh, yeah, again, it's really hard to make that comparison, but I I would love to put Steve Smith as the best test player uh, of all time. Yeah, I think modern era, there's no question. I think he's absolutely the best test batsman in the modern era. But like you said, it's difficult to compare. And and when you look at Don Bradman, that 99.94 average, that's difficult to – that figure is just difficult to – to top that you think somebody even with a far lesser average just because of the volume of tests that they're going to end up playing could eclipse that mark so that number might be uh the the final hurdle for for someone like steve smith to overcome and and i don't think he's going to ever get to that point i mean he's at what in the 60s right now i mean it would take an unreal run to come close to that average but this was a good bounce back for australia at least coming after a very disappointing end to the World Cup. And for England, they tied the series, which at the end of the day, a consolation prize for them. But going forward for both England and Australia, what has this summer meant for both sides? And, and what can they take from this summer going forward as, as we kind of close out this year and shift focus towards the, the World T20 next October in Australia, which is the next big tournament? I, I think for England, uh, the biggest takeaway is what we mentioned. We saw some good batting, uh, from Denley, from Burns, and they look like very solid players. And England has really struggled to find that opening combo in test cricket. Um, even the top order hasn't really been as consistent as you would have thought, given the uh, you know the big names that they do have. Um, besides Root, there hasn't been uh, someone to really anchor this test team and uh, lead by example. So hopefully these two new young players are going to be the future for England going forward, and I hope to see them play well in the next test series as well. So I think uh, Jason Roy obviously might not be the best test opener, but he should be a big part of their plans for the, the World T20. 
get a solid World Cup, as we spoke about earlier on here. So he should be their opener, one of them. I'm not sure how exactly they fare in T20. They went to the finals last last cup around, but we know what happened there with Brathwaite. But I think England should be a favorite. It's in Australia. Australia is not necessarily the best T20 team. I don't think they really have focused their resources on that format of the game. So there's no telling from there. It's Australia, so they could you know show up its cup on home soil. But I think that, that would be my answer to that question. I think for Australia, it was good to retain the ashes to get the taste out of their mouth from the World Cup semifinal. If you're England, this was the tournament. If you, if you had to pick which tournament you weren't going to win between the ashes and the World Cup, the, the ashes were the one that you could afford to give away or to say that you come up short. Right? The World Cup uh, was something I, that they I, couldn't I, have. They couldn't have afforded to lose that one if you had I to pick between the two. I agree with you, but I also think that there was like a survey asking all like British cricket fans, and they said they would rather win the Ashes overwhelmingly, which is crazy to me. That's very easy to say after you've won the World Cup, though, right? Because uh, I guess that's fair. If you think about it, right, England was demolishing teams for four years, and then they were on the cusp of getting eliminated in their in their own World Cup, in their home World Cup. And Ben Stokes, you know, said some things and, and played some good innings and, and they rallied. But if, if England had to choose ahead of the World Cup between the World Cup and the Ashes, I think that survey would be a little bit different. But I think for England going forward, Archer is obviously a great bowler. Looks like he's going to bowl in all three formats. Uh, Broad was still effective. We don't know what James Anderson's health is going to be like, but at least England has those two pacers. As far as batting goes, uh, Ben Stokes obviously regaining form now after a great summer as, as one of the premier all-rounders. And I think Root, maybe the captaincy put an additional burden on him, but I still think he's one of the best limited overs batsmen. We'll see if he, that translates to the test format. But yeah, for Australia, I mean, this was a nice way to get you know the bitter taste out of their mouth at a semifinal. But for England, I mean, this was icing on the cake if they won it. And at the end of the day, they drew for that world test championship. This was a good sign of progress. For England, their young players stepped up. Archer was the real deal. But I think, you know, this definitely, for Australia, Smith is back. Warner struggled. But most of their peripheral guys look decent. Uh, Mitchell Stark only played in one test. But it looks like they have some other bowlers coming up, like Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood. So I think Australia had other options besides Stark that they didn't absolutely need to play him. But both sides can come away from the ashes with, with different positives, uh, I think that's fair to say, right? Yep, I definitely think so. Good signs for both I agree teams. With that as well. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll break down India and South Africa. The South Africans took the third T20 to tie that series at 1-1, and we'll dive into a preview of the Test Series. You're listening to the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. Welcome back to the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. Check us out on Facebook at The Follow On. Follow us on Twitter at The Follow On. And, of course, all of our content at followoncricket.com. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe on whatever service you get your podcasts from. We're talking India-South Africa, the T20 series. It was three T20s. The first one got rained out. India won the second one behind a brilliant innings from Virat Kohli. And then the third T20, South Africa took behind a unbeaten 75-76 runs from Quinton de Kock, who also had a 50 in the second T20, 
that uh, South Africa failed to win. But Quinton de Kock played really well. South Africa levels the T20 series. Uh, India struggled in this particular game. What are your guys' takeaways from the T20 series? I think that Bunt has been a recent call-up. Obviously, everybody knows that, and he's had. But I think that his he has a lot of glaring weaknesses in his game. Like some of them are mental. He has all the shots in the book. There's no issue there. But I think in limited overs, you you put him a little bit lower, middle order, like five or six, and then give him freedom to do as he wants without setting the pace of the game. So let's say like Virat or even like Shreyas Iyer, someone who's like more of a mature batsman can rotate from their end and then have Punt give the freedom to hit his shots and not have expectations as to, oh, let him carry the innings. Because basically every time he gets out, gets out is from a stupid shot attempt, right? So it's basically Punt versus himself. There has to be like, you have to understand the line between, you know, like playing fear, fearlessly and playing kind of carelessly. The one thing I will say, though, is that this time, I don't even think, at least in the third T20, I don't even think it was a case of playing the wrong shot. He was 19 off 20 balls. Um, at that point, India was headed for a really low score. I think a par score on that pitch would have been closer to 160, 165, in my opinion. Um, so I think he had to had to have a go. I, I just don't think he was timing the ball that well. And that part is more concerning. I, I just haven't seen him really, really get going in recent in recent memory. Um he just hasn't been timing the ball as well as we we're accustomed to seeing him do. So I don't know if it's a slow patch right now, but I do agree with you, Shay. I do think he needs to bat down the order. And I know we discussed this once, but I, I really want to reiterate the fact that I think Shreyas Iyer should be batting ahead of Bunt. Yeah, I think that's fair. Here's some numbers on Rishabh Bunt. In 19 T20 internationals, his average is 17.1. He's had no centuries and two 50s. His distribution of innings, 11 times he scored between 0 and 9 of the 19. So he really struggles at the beginning of his innings. and <laughs> That is not good. The number 4 spot, look, I, I don't understand why India is so adamant on having him bat at number 4. I just don't get it. In a recent interview on the BCCI website, Virat Kohli and Ravi Shastri talked about gearing up for the World T20. And the interviewer asked Virat about opportunities for different players. How do you juggle the experimentation? The answer basically was they, they may get, you know, five or six opportunities. It might It's not like they're going to have a set number of chances with so such limited T20 action that they may only get five or six chances. Well, Rishabh Bunt has had 20 chances now. I'm not saying there are better options. I'm all for giving guys chances. But the body of work so far suggests that he is not good at the number four spot in T20s. Or maybe there are some severe mental issues right now with his game that he is struggling to overcome. Because this type of performance is not going to fly at, at a World Cup. It just isn't. Yep, definitely. Couldn't agree with you more. And it's, yeah, it's really shocking to see him bat this high, especially given the numbers that you just presented. Um, you, you would think, like we, like you said, with this limited scope in T20, you don't really have that many opportunities. It's amazing to me that he's still batting at number four after all this. I, I've already brought up a lot of questions about him behind the stumps up to the spinners. Uh, that part to me is just unacceptable for, for being a keeper, especially uh, a keeper in the subcontinent, let alone India whose game really revolves around 
having good people behind the stumps for spinners. So yeah, I, I don't get a lot of the decisions that are being made around starting him and having him bat at four. I think that I think that if I were to compare him to modern like Indian like I guess modern Indian batsman, I would say his batting style is like like I think so. Pandya Hardik Pandya used to be the same way, right? Where they were trying to put him in the middle order, have him hit out. But I think his best his best slot is like like let's say like six or seven. Because he can, he has the freedom to end an innings with a bang, and he's not worried about setting his pace, not worried about seeing the ball off or building an innings. That's where he shines. So Bunt could be the same way. I think of him as, if I were to put two players, I would say, um, you could say Shreyas Iyer could be slated to be like another Kohli who will rotate the innings and build an innings. And Rohit, obviously, in the beginning of his career, he was also known as like a hitter. So Bunt is more in that sense. So if he's given that freedom. I said earlier, um, I think you'd strive without that pressure of necessarily having to build innings and having to bat with the people around him. It's interesting that you bring up Shreyas Iyer because I have a completely different take when it comes to T20s and Shreyas Iyer. In seven T20 internationals, Shreyas Iyer's average is 14.85, which is not very good. And when you look at his T20 record in general, in 95 innings, his average is 28.75. So he's not that great of a T20 player to begin with. And at the international level, it, it's gotten worse for him. Granted, seven games is, is a little bit of a small sample size. But like I just mentioned, that they could be evaluated. These players could be evaluated on five or six games. And on seven games, it looks like Shreyas Iyer is not a T20 player. He's going to play in the IPL. He's going to get runs in the IPL. And that's fine. But at the international level, I don't know if Shreyas Iyer deserves a spot in the T20 squad for India. And one guy who didn't play in either of the games, but who has proven far more on the T20 level, and even on the ODI level than both players, has K.L. Rahul. K.L. Rahul has opened the innings in T20. He's batted at number four in T20. He's played really well in the T20 format. And I just don't understand why he has not been given an opportunity to come back and establish some sort of role in the playing 11. But based on the performances of these two young players, I think K.L. Rahul should deserve or should get an opportunity because it, it could be, you know, five or six chances is all it takes. But I mean, Rishabh Bunt has gotten 20 chances now. And I think at some point you, you have to say like enough's enough. If it's just not happening, it's, it's not happening right now. They have to find the best possible team to cement for that World T20. I don't know if Rishabh Bunt is on that team. I don't think Shreyas Iyer is on that team. But I'm still a little iffy on Rishabh Bunt. But I think Gail Rahul should absolutely get an opportunity in the next T20 series, whoever India plays. I think he's earned that. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been one of the most consistent performers in T20. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the evaluation, while it can be argued whether it should or should not, but it's just naturally going to come from your IPL play. That's just the way it's going to work. Um, and so we have seen Ayer play pretty well in IPL. We've seen him play some pretty good innings. Um, for me, when you bring in Caleb Ravel, I, I would put him behind the stumps and take Bunt out there. Uh, I think that's a great option to try out. Um, just to see, you know, how they stack up behind the stumps. I think it should be a good wake-up call if Bunt sees that, you know, we put in this. He's not really a full-time keeper, but he comes in and he's doing the job and he's just as serviceable as I am behind the stumps. I think that should be 
something that motivates him to really, really get better behind the stumps, which I think is what India needs going forward. On the T20 team as a whole, in this third T20, uh, India was looking at uh, a pretty below par score. And the commentary team was saying something interesting that Virat Kohli before the game had basically said he wanted to challenge the team to play a different type of game. That India wasn't always going to be in a chasing situation. That sometimes they would have to set a target in difficult circumstances and go from there. Obviously, that thought is great. Uh, it fell flat on their face in this third T20. But they did not respond to the challenge. The, the question I guess I have is, do you think India is that one-dimensional that Virat Kohli had to kind of publicly say that we're going to have to try to find ways to present challenges to these guys? Or was it just kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing that he said? Or maybe it was all just BS. Maybe everything is just a complete lie and, and they just fell flat in, in the T20. I mean, maybe that's all it. I don't know what your guys' take on that is. I just thought it was an interesting point that your captain is having to present a challenge as if the game isn't hard enough for some of these guys. It's kind of mind-boggling to me. I would think that in this scenario, this is a, you know, a T20 that you really want to win. You want to wrap up the series. I don't get the comment about running through any sort of social experiment here with the T20 series on the line. That part doesn't make sense to me. So, yeah, I think the decision was wrong. It was obviously it, they should have been chasing the whole time, especially on this wicket where, you know, you kind of knew what a par score was, but it's always tough on these good wickets where you're going to score a lot of runs. Yeah, like I said, I don't think there's any reason to be playing experiments here. I think you should be doing what you're best at. Um, and I think it was the wrong decision to bat first, whether it was because of an experiment or not, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I, I don't vibe with that. So the T20 series is tied now. And looking ahead to the Test series, India coming off the dominating performance in the test series against the West Indies, more of the same against South Africa in home conditions, or is this a different challenge for India against uh, probably a better test team than the West Indies? Oh, yes. That, that can, by and far, a much better test team than the West Indies. Uh, I barely consider the West Indies a test team. I think this will be quite the challenge. It'll be, um, I think, the bowling attack that they will be up against, it's going to be a lot tougher to score runs, I think. Um, less mistakes. West Indies, you know, they are known to bowl several loose balls here and there, give you a few freebies. I don't think the Indian batsmen are going to get that from the South African bowling attack. It'll be interesting to see how the young players in South Africa match up to the Indian bowling lineup. Uh, the guys like Aiden Markram, we'll see if we see Tempa Bovuma come into this side. So I think it should be a good series, a lot closer than the one we saw against West Indies. I think it's definitely going to be a challenge. They have, they've actually like, they're in the middle. South Africa's in the middle of a, you could say, like rebuilding phase as well after AB's retirement. But they they do have like one of the top test bowling attacks. So I think that while South Africa does have their own, you know, rebuilding so to speak stage, um, I think it should be a very, a fairly even series. And I think that there's gonna be much more of a challenge in terms of facing their, um, their young, their young like unknown South African stars who they haven't really played against in test matches. Yeah, I think that's going to be the big key is whether these young South African batsmen who are kind of coming into their own now as, as Ashay mentioned, South Africa rebuilds, how are they going to stack up in a test match? I think that's going to be the big key 
as to how much of a challenge this is for India. I would still pick India to win the Test Series. I think at home conditions coming off a pretty good performance yes. where everyone feels like they're in form, I think India still wins the series. But I think it could be more of a challenge based on how South Africa's batsmen perform because we know what South Africa's bowlers can do, but we don't know what South Africa's young batsmen can do. And if these guys can step up and score runs, then it could be a little bit of a challenge for India. But I still think I, I take the hosts in the test series. I, I would take them probably 2-1. So they have a young spinner, case of Maras, then like Ngidi, Philander, Rabada, obviously, and Unrich Norse as well. Um, obviously, you know, their batsmen, like you said, Decock. Aiden Markham's a young one that we haven't seen. Klassen as well. I would also probably take India 2-1 in that series. Yeah, I, I think India here. winning this series as well. I honestly don't see a way that South Africa wins a test match in India, especially with it being in India. I think we should see Shumzi come into the side and probably have some success. But yeah, like you said, Chinmay, I just don't see, especially after this World Cup, where that young batting lineup really uh, did not perform. Their heads were a little low. I, I don't see them coming in here and playing big innings in India. So I take India 2-0 with maybe a draw. Well, that's going to do it for us here at the Follow On Podcast. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and as always, all of our content at followoncricket.com.